everyone. We are back this week and we have a name, which I'm sure you saw last week on the name of the podcast when we posted it. We are the Pioneer Perspective and I just want to thank everyone for the feedback and the response we got for last week's cast. It's very much very much appreciated and we're just excited to get going for the next episode. Like always, we are the official podcast of the newly named MTG at Home Discord server. So, if you want to play some paper decks again, rather than let them collect dust in the corner of your room, come on and hit the link down below and play some paper magic with us. I am joined today by my lovely co-host. We have Alex, six hours away in the future. How are you, Alex? Yeah, I'm good. Aside from the fact that I'm melting because of the heat, but I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate. Aside from that, I'm good. Happy I don't think you again. deserve. I don't think you deserve to complain since I live in Florida and my AC has been broken all week. So. I mean, I live in the Netherlands. I'm used to rain all the time. Like, we're at the threat of just flooding at, like, any point of the day. So, <laughs> this is unusual for me. Well, I also have someone in the same time zone as myself. We are joined today with Matt again. Matt, how are you? I am great. Speaking of time zones, I was told we were going to start recording at 8, and I was up and ready to go, and then somebody didn't show up. That was my fault. I uh, either slept through my alarm or didn't set one. I'm 99% sure I set it, and I think I was just so tired. It went off, and I did. I don't even remember turning off the alarm. So my bad. I have coffee now. I'm ready to go. Well, we were up until, what, 3 in the morning almost discussing things, so it's forgivable. Yeah, which is probably a mistake, but we're here now, and that's okay. Uh, so... We had pioneer events over the weekend and everything, but first I want to ask both of you, we'll start with you, Matt. Did you play any pioneer? Uh, I haven't played any official tournaments. I'm playing in one tonight, but I have played casually, uh, still playing mono green, made some slight adjustments to fit some of the new developments that have come out of the deck over the weekend. And it's been doing pretty well. It did lose to Lotus Field though, so... Alex, good job on calling that Lotus Field was coming back. As we'll come back on later, that's one of the few calls I made correctly. So <laughs> I'll take and, that. And speaking of playing tonight, by the way, he's referring to one of our many tournaments at the MTG at home Discord. So just the same way, like I was saying earlier, we can play some Paper Magic and we even host tournaments as well, which is always nice. Uh, Alex, did you play anything over the weekend? Uh, I haven't had too much of a chance to play, also because I didn't want to attend a paper tournament. My parents returned from uh, a trip to their uh, second home in Portugal, so they've been on an airplane, lots of people. So I thought I would like stay at home for at least a week, make sure I don't show any symptoms before I go out. I would encourage everybody to do the same. And obviously, with the release of Double Master, sort of drafts going on, I'm not a fan of Limited. Uh, I played a couple games online uh, where I brought out uh, Black White Zombie Rally. Which I actually think I'm not. I I doubt it's going to be tier one, but it is a fun deck. It was played before all these feral shenanigans came out, and I feel like it's a reasonable choice if you have the deck lying around and you enjoy it. I would encourage you to give it another shot. We actually played last night, Alex. Uh, I was on Rakdos Pyromancer, uh, my little altered brew, and uh, I remember you saying after we finished the match that I drew the nuts all three games. <laughs> I mean, I have never had so many Croxus cast against me, but within like the first three turns of the game, I think you led on a Thoughtseize every game into oh, yeah, threat, into more Thoughtseize, into Croxa, into mill yourself to escape your Croxa, and then you brought out the ultimate spice, and when I finally had some blockers, you slept on a demonic embrace, and I died. 
Yeah, that so is my that beautiful, was a first. <laughs> yeah, that's my beautiful tech for the uh, Pyromancer deck. Um, I think Demonic Embrace is cool. And uh, I also played some Pioneer this weekend, uh, not counting the game against Alex. I actually played a couple of leagues on Moto uh, running Simic Reclamation because I saw Aspiring Spike, the wonderful genius he is, uh, 5-0 an event uh, last week with the list. I made some very small tweaks, and when I say small, I mean I literally swapped his uh, three Sublime Epiphany and two Brazen Borrower around to be three Brazen and two Sublime Epiphany. The first league, I went one and four. The second league, I went four and one. So I punted my way through that very first league. It was uh, pretty bad. But the deck feels good, feels strong. And um, yeah, so, let's, let's get into Sublime the... Epiphany. The meme is yeah. real. It's disgusting. It's a disgusting play. If you go Gear Hulk or Sublime in either order, as long as you have a Gear Hulk on board and you just copy Gear Hulk again, recast Sublime, and then just for value, go, I guess I'll get this Gross Spiral in the bin. Uh, for the second Sublime, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's terrifying. That deck snowballs so hard. But, uh, Alex, we had some events. Uh, what, anything kind yes. you know, of note? Uh, so before we start, uh, we're recording this on Monday. So that means the challenge results from Sunday aren't all in. There's obviously some things we knew, like from social media. And a lot of people probably ended up watching, um, the finals live where Doomwake beat uh, Gabriel Nassif by playing Mono Green Devotion against Gabriel Nassif's Niftalite list. Uh, I went over Reddit and I noticed there was also an Ors of Auras list, which ended up being 11th, which actually didn't show up anywhere else as long as, uh, as far as published lists go. But there was a lot of stuff to look at. I think it was about 100 decks I ended up going over with the clear winner as Matt called correctly, being Niv. Uh, Niftalite showed up a lot. Uh, there were some uh, interesting conclusions to be drawn from this, though. Like how, for example, every Niftalite deck uh, ran the Triomes in their mana base rather than the Temples. So that was like a change because it was a bit of a debate. Uh, I heard some people locally here talk about it, like, do I run Temples? Do I run Triomes? Well, they've all agreed here on that Triomes is the way to go. Then there was the split between Yorian or no Yorian. And usually paired with that same split was the decision, do we run Deathrite Shaman or do we not run Deathrite Shaman? A uh, very uh, notable card that was missing, in my opinion, is Gilded Goose, which I believe showed up in literally none of the lists, or at least not in a lot of the lists. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I thought the card was really good in the deck, but it seems people disagree now. It feels like... I mean, if you're going to go with a, a Mana Dork turn one, I think Deathrite Shaman is just very versatile in the meta right now. I think people are just anticipating more Uros, so that's an, a good call there to try and preemptively snap, or snipe an Uro, I should say. But Gilded Goose, while probably good, it's... I mean, it doesn't do too much different for the deck than like if they were just to run you know, an Elf. And you're already running Carrioted, so maybe it's just not too big of a deal. Well, it makes um, any color. It does. And I feel, I feel uh, like Shaman is reliant on your opponent filling their own graveyard, and then you snipe the lands out of theirs, which I guess is a strategy to go off, because it seems like a lot of people are filling their own graveyard at the moment. What do you think, Matt? I think Goose is just worse than any other... Well, not any other dork, but most of the other dorks, because you play a turn 
one Llanowar Elves, that means on turn two, you can drop a three drop. You play a turn one Gilded Goose, that means on turn two, you're either dropping a two drop, or you're dropping a one drop of a color that you don't have on the board right now. Because you have to pay two to, to turn on Gilded Goose's mana creation, so it's not as good as just dropping a well, dork. You, you, you get one food for free, of course, so you get like a one-shot Birds of Paradise. Yeah. I think we can all agree that Birds of Paradise would be disgusting in this deck. So, I guess it's good we didn't go that much further with Pioneer. Otherwise yeah. we'd have had Lightning Bolt. I just um, I would prefer any dork other than Gilded Goose in this list. I, I, I'm not surprised it didn't show up. I'm a little surprised that somebody didn't at least try it, because Goose is just a good card. Also, can block a flyer, so, you know, there's that. I think another thing to take note for this is that you mentioned earlier, Alex, that we're actually leaning into more of the triumphs now for that. Mm-hmm. So it could be a compensation for like, okay, we're not going temples anymore, so we don't really, we have, you know, triumphs now at the three lands. So we don't have to lean so hard into a mana dork on turn one that makes any color. We can yeah, actually kind of play other cards at that point because our mana base is a bit more flexible. Yeah, that makes sense. You've got you've got more of the you've got more colors already. So you don't need yeah. this one shot dork to try and fix your colors. Uh then one interesting thing that showed up about the NIF decks was sometimes they main decked slaughter games or not. Which obviously main decking a card like slaughter games could just completely blow out other players. Like if you resolve a slaughter games in a mirror and you name your opponent's NIF, there's probably a reasonable chance you're winning that game. Um, and it wasn't about like a 50-50. I feel like it's important to keep in mind when you're playing other decks that if this becomes a common thing and NIV is a very popular deck, uh, there's two tips I can give to people, which is one, uh, if you're playing a controlish deck, counter the Bring to Light. Because sometimes you're like, oh, I'll bring to light resolve, and they get a good card out of the deck, and then I'll counter that. You sort of get two cards for the price of one. But if they bring out slaughter games, the card's uncounterable. So this was especially relevant when people were playing Inverter, uh, obviously, because then they were sniped their Inverter. Um, another one is, is that if you're playing a controlling or a slower style deck, you probably want more than one way to win the game. Because otherwise you're just going to lose game one. So if you play a deck with like a very obvious win condition, now, for example, uh, a deck which does this quite well is a deck like uh, Rally the Ancestors, uh, because they obviously they often play uh, Return to the Ranks too. So they have like two ways to go about their uh, plan, or to drain you out, they would have like the Luris versions at Cruel Celebrant or Zulapur Cutthroat. So even if they snipe one, you still have a way to win the game, which I think is important to keep in mind with NIV decks. Um, another big winner, which was again correctly called by Matt, is Mono Green Devotion. And as Matt also called, every list ran Karn. As far as I know that I've seen, literally every list was on Karn. With like the full, like, one-off trade binder sideboard. Looks like Matt's our uh, little guru. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, playing over the weekend, I figured out why Karn is in this deck. It's so that you can drop a Damping Spear on game one and try to get the game one win rather than having to wait to sideboard it in game two. Yeah, because I think when you said putting up Damping Spear, another card deck that showed up, which is probably my only correct call, is Field, a Lotus Field combo. It didn't show up at large numbers, but it did perform quite well. 
And when I went through some of the challenge lists, like I think it was like one of the first challenge or preliminaries I went through, and I saw two uh, Lotus Field lists do well. And the first thing I did is just go Control F and try and see how many Damping Spheres were run in this tournament. And it was only four. It was a one-off in two sideboards and a two-off in one. So clearly, as a lot of people have figured out, it's like, well, people are going to think Combo's dead. No better time to play Combo. And with a pretty good conversion rate, they got rewarded for that if they did. Yeah, that's the only combo deck that we're really seeing. Um, unfortunately, the Tashar kind of Kethis was Kethis deck that I was trying to make work, which I did test that pretty frequently over the weekend as well. Uh, it still needs tuning, and I don't think if you're going to do a combo deck right now um, or attempt to do one with field still being legal, obviously, that's the way to go. That's the more consistent one. That's the one that was actually an established deck prior uh to the printing of uh you know that wonderful set we uh we all love and hold dear to our hearts is a uh, theris beyond death probably my least favorite magic set well actually that still probably goes to modern horizons as i said last week but theros is something else it, it really is but we wouldn't have croxa without it and crox is fine I know Uro is a pain, but I think Croxa is left in his shadow. It's the fair version of the two cards because it doesn't just provide immediate value no matter what you do. It's a maybe value. It's a maybe they take three. They're going to discard a card, but like a lot of times they just go like, well, I'm discarding an Uro. I can just recast this. And you're like, <laughs> um, thank you for putting this card in my graveyard, Brad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if Uro was, you know, on a two, uh, you know, card spectrum, kind of like Croxa is, meaning Croxa only does the optional three damage and one discard. Because, like, if Croxa was exactly mirrored as Uro, it would just snipe a land, right? Wouldn't that be the opposite? But that'd be ridiculously overpowered and just be completely broken. <laughs> two, just so, two mana stone raining people while they take three. <laughs> I mean, could, would we be all that surprised if that was only the card? I wouldn't like, be surprised if it was printed. I would potentially quit the game, but I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if it was printed. But yeah, like, Crocs is held in Uro's shadow, and I, I don't mean to go on a little tangent, but like, come on. Crocs is the way to do escape fairly for the most part. I mean, it's still a 6-6 six, six for 4. Don't get me wrong. That's I, terrifying. I, I, I think but... escape is just a stupid mechanic. It's, it's boring. It leads to very repetitive gameplay uh, where you keep playing against the same card. Uh, it's like yeah. people run seven copies of a card. It's like there's a reason you run four because after I deal with four, given like using other cards to recur them, I'm supposed to be done. But there is still a lot of decks to talk about, so let's continue with that. Another deck we talked about last week is uh, Spirits, and Spirits actually performed quite well uh, throughout the weekend. Also put a lot of copies into these challenges, into these preliminaries, uh, with definitely a split between blue, white, and band. There wasn't like a clear better deck. I think there was a bit more blue-white than there was banned. But sometimes, um, like we talked about last week, uh, when we compared the two decks, we're sort of like, do you want Lofty Denial or do you want Collected Company? And some people just decided, why not both? And that that actually showed up quite a bit. We're just like, well, I could just run Coco and Lofty Denial, which did lead to a fair amount of lists then not running Shacklegeist. I saw fewer copies of that card show up generally, and some of the blue-white lists actually went to Watcher of the Spheres, which makes the deck very explosive and makes it so you're more likely to have this Lofty Denial mana up 
Because you could go like turn one Watcher of the Spheres and then turn three Supreme Phantom. And because it's only one mana, you actually have the Lofty Denial up. So I guess that's a pretty good list to like go under the Niv Delight decks, for example. Well, uh, Matt, yeah. uh, Matt, this is the bane of your existence, right? Uh, going against Spirits as a green player? Yes, it is. So what would you rather go against? Would, or What do you fear more? Like, Do you fear the Bant company version? Do you fear the Azorius straight up just trying to temple you out? Which, by the way, we did see a couple lists running uh, Teferi, the th- a three mana one, uh, again, which we saw months ago, which I think is a, a really good card in the tempo version. Um, being able to bounce your own spell caller and just be like, you can't get that card again is kind of cute. So, uh, but yeah, Matt, what do you think is the one you want to be on the lookout more for? I don't worry so much about the tempo one playing mono green because the mono green list we're seeing right now, the mono green list I play, can it can either keep the tempo or in some cases you're kind of dreaming to make this happen, but it is possible you can even out-tempo them because you're playing so many dorks, you're playing so many ways to generate extra mana that you can just go hog-wild on turn three or four and just put so many creatures on the board to just block everything. Is that, right. is that even with, like, because uh, the list often saw on Burning Tree Emissary, right? Is that what you're yeah. sort of talking about? Like, yeah, Burning Tree Emissary allows yeah. you to sometimes out-tempo the tempo deck? Yeah, and then also you can drop Nissa on turn three if you play it correctly, which then just generates as much mana as you want to just keep dropping as many things as you want every turn. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Burning Tree Emissary is just a free turn two card because when it, as long as it resolves, you just get your mana right back and then you use it to cast something else. So I guess like you often get to, you start double spelling quite early in the game, which will be yeah, something a tempo so... deck doesn't want. So at least in the at least in the testing I've done with my version of the deck, the optimal first couple turns is you're gonna turn one, uh, a dork, typically Lanawar Elves, but it could also be Elvish Mystic. Then turn two, you're gonna cast Burning Tree Emissary. If it resolves, it resolves for three, and then you're gonna cast either Jade Light Ranger, Seder Wayfinder, something like that. So that's three creatures on the board turn two. The spirits can't really make that happen as well as green can. And then the next turn you're dropping Nissa, and now you're looking at a, a turn four voracious Hydra that comes in really big, or you're looking at something like that. And then they can't swing into you because you're just going to block and destroy whatever it is they swing with. So tempo isn't that big of a deal. It's it's the Bant version that's a little bit more scary because of the um, because of Toko. So obviously this deck's been around for a while now, and this Spirits versus Mono Green was like already a thing that was coming up a while back. What do you do as like the Mono Green? Like you see a lot of banned Spirits being played. How do you change your deck to be more favorable in that matchup? I know some decks went like they actually had some sideboard, some actual sideboard cards. I know Shocker for Mono Green, and they boarded in things like Windstorm. Like, are there maybe other cards that you'd consider playing to improve the matchup? Um. I think it just depends on the player how they want to go about it. I mean, the the version I run, the sideboard is just basically what do I want to tutor? So, and it runs a lot of um, just value cards. It runs like Damping Spear, Pithing Needle to turn stuff off. I mean, good luck playing Uro or Croxa because as soon as you put that in your graveyard, I'm just boarding in a Scooze and it's getting pinged out of your graveyard before you ever recast it. 
But I'm thinking like trying to beat spirits. What if your what if your local meta like everybody loves spirits? You love playing mono green. In every FNM you go to, half the people are playing banned. How do you go about beating it? You, I mean, you can board in stuff. I mean, if you want to splash, well, you can't really splash blue, but you could splash blue and start bouncing their stuff. I mean, I, I don't really know. I'm going to be honest, I don't know. I'm still a fairly new mono green player. I haven't really faced this. I think right. you bring in Cage there, right? Because that shuts down yeah, Coco, also bring it? Draft Digger's Cage or even Tormod's Crypt. Well, I don't think Tormod's Crypt does enough against Spirits because this is a deck that likes to bring in Rest in Peace. Yeah. And that's they don't really care about their grave, right? So Crypt, if you bring Crypt doesn't in... do anything, right, against Spirits. No, I don't think it does. I think um, it, certainly it has its place in the meta, and it's uh, a card you want to bring in against a lot of stuff, like any Euro deck for that matter. Maybe not any. I think Niftalite, it's particularly weak. Um, it's not, I don't think it's worth just bringing in a card just to snipe their uh, their Euros. I don't know. No, you've got other things to worry about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Grab Digger's Cage seems like a pretty easy bring in to at least shut down Coco, which is if you're on ban, that's the entire thing you're doing. Yeah. And it makes them play fair uh, as opposed to just dropping. Because uh, nothing's worse than playing Karn, right? And then you're like, in response, Coco, I found two spell quellers. Um, I win because at that point they just kind of hit you on the slap back, and uh, you can't really do much about that, right? Right, it is worth noting as well that Azorius seems to be the one that performed a little bit better in the in the at least on the Saturday events. Azorius is in the top 10 for both the challenge and the preliminary, and I don't see. Bam. Yeah, blue blue white is a little bit more counter heavy. Like it tends to run like the the why not both version tends to go up to like two lofty denial in the main, and the blue whites go to three, often upwards of four. And some of the blue white lists have even started running curious obsession, though that was less common. So I guess that might have a bit better of a Niv matchup. It's a little better at going underneath the deck. And Niv doesn't have that thing where you say with mono green where you start double spelling early. I feel like Niv, like almost every turn, starts tapping out for huge threat after huge threat. And Mausoleum Wanderer is obviously a great card against uh, Bring to Light. So oh, you can yeah. Mausoleum Wanderer there, Bring to Light, and then hold your Lofty Denial up for the Niv they're trying to hard cast. And by that time, you've probably won the game. So I guess that's a line blue white just takes more often. So I guess we'll just have to watch this matchup over the next couple of weeks, see what Mono Green starts doing against Spirits, if they start just getting wrecked by Spirits, how they start handling it. But overall, I think the, I think the matchup favors Mono Green if, if they can solve the one problem that exists with Coco. I think um, what might be important to mention, because yeah, I heard you briefly mention it, this is obviously the start of a new meta. Uh, a lot of things can be taken with a grain of salt. Like we just mentioned, like, hey, mono uh, blue-white tends to perform a little bit better than band, for example. But that's like, if in a preliminary, if you go 3-2 or 4-1, like, the 4-1 deck doesn't have to be better, right? It's one event with, like, 100 games being played. Like, it statistically, it's nothing. Like, if we want to... 
if you want to like tune your deck, I think you're gonna have to look like two or three or four weeks of results. Like, yeah, blue white is clearly better. So if I want to work on my spirits matchup, I'm gonna consider blue white. At the moment, I think you have to like think in broad strokes. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, still, and we talked about this last week, but I think it's still true. There is no meta right now. People no. figure out what is gonna be good, what isn't gonna be good, where do we fall? How do we make combo a thing again is something a lot of people are trying to figure out. How do we stop combo from ever becoming a thing again is something other people are trying to figure out. <laughs> I think everybody just listened to the podcast last week, heard Matt talk, and was like, yeah, mono green and Niftalite. And just 80% of people just decided to follow Matt's advice. And that's the meta now. Like, Matt doesn't predict the future. Matt makes the future. I wield a great power and I found <laughs> Use it with the <laughs> utmost care. <laughs> there is a a deck that I particularly uh, am excited about. Well, maybe I should define excited because other people probably aren't. Uh, in the challenge of uh, for Saturday, we see a third place Bant control list, which is literally only playing green for Growth Spiral and Uro. Isn't that and... the, that's the canister list, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, Canister. Yep, that is it. And they're also going with Yorian. Um, if Canister made the deck, it's good. Yeah, we see we see Yorian, so they're in the 80-card pile. Obviously, four Uro, um, four three Fairy, four, uh, three Big Teferi, uh, one Ugin, and then just uh, the collection of the good stuff that you're going to be playing in Bant. Your Shark Typhoons, your Elspeth Conquers Death, Omen of the Seas, uh, Supreme Verdict, Sell the Wreckage, even in the main... And uh, yeah, they're getting their getting their lands down, uh, slapping some uh, some stuff on the field, some planeswalkers, maybe getting an Uro or two out of the yard, and uh, just trying to grind you out. Which seems like a pretty good matchup against uh, Nivtalite because they have the counter spells. Yeah, so Canister ended up doing pretty well with the list. I watched some streams throughout the week, and I saw some more people trying this out. I forgot to write down the names of the streamers. Excuse me. Um, then some other notable things, uh, decks that showed up that were still, uh, fairly well represented, mono black aggro. Um, there were some people playing vampires, but it was most of the lists were traditional mono black aggro. Uh, like the only change they made is that they took some damping spheres out of their sideboard and that might actually end up being a mistake. So maybe we literally go back to the pre-ban mono black list and just pretend like nothing happened because mono black is still a good deck. Uh, then a deck we just completely didn't mention last week, which was Winoda, which gets you dead. That showed up a couple of times. Uh, and then there were some notable one-offs, or one is technically a two-off, um, that I wanted to go off, uh, quickly talk about. So Arclight Phoenix showed up in every possible way you can build it. So I guess people have still concluded that we want to try and make this deck work, but we have no idea how. Because they're just trying everything. Thing in the Ice, Pyromancer, Storming Entity. Uh, every deck had a different way of winning the game. One was even playing a copy of Quicken to try and get that extra cantrip yeah. that the deck really get the needs. Extra I mean, to be honest, I feel like Quicken is actually pretty... Like, I don't think it's actively good in the deck, but that deck's sideboard had a couple of cards like Negate and Aether Gust. So honestly, the like being able to cast a sorcery at instant speed might actually be relevant. Like maybe you sometimes end up with a hand that is like, I can now like there's no phoenix in my yard. I can now quicken 
and cast um God, what's the ancestral recall called? Treasure Cruise? Or I want to hold up this two mana counter spell. Because obviously holding up two mana counter magic can be quite difficult for a deck like that. Especially when you run cards like Charter Course, like you're very much encouraged to tap out. So I actually feel like there is some merit to the Quicken. It's not just a one mana cantrip. I feel like it's actually not flavor text to make your next sorcery an instant. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, and then some other things that showed up. This was a perfect example. Uh, there's actually two that we could talk about. But of um, there's a new format, but we have a bunch of cards that are worth looking at that were just completely overlooked because combo wasn't good. Uh, combo was too good. And one is actually a combo card, and it's Indomitable Creativity with Terror of the Peaks. And we've seen the Indomitable Creativity deck before, uh, earlier on in the format, and it did things like Dragonlord Coligan, I believe, the one that gives all your creatures haste, and then like Angel of Serenity, or Void Winnower, and try and sort of like Indomitable Creativity, get this ridiculous board state, attack you. One weakness the deck had is that if they kill Dragonlord Coligan in response before you go to attack, your creatures no longer have haste, and then they untap, play Sweeper. I mean, granted, they have to play this all around Void Winnower, but if that happens, you literally lose the game because you have no way left to win and this deck does it with terror of the peaks and the way terror of the peaks works i thought i'd do the math very quickly um if you do it for x equals two you get two terror of the peaks on the field they see each other enter the battlefield and they deal 10 to your opponent but the moment you do x equals three terror of the peaks enters the battlefield three copies one copy sees the other two Happens three times, you do 30 damage to your opponent. And you don't even have to go to attackers for that. And they added the extra spice by adding Angraf's Marauders, which means that you can completely destroy people. Like, you need to go upwards of, like, 90 life to not die to this combo if you're playing in a slow deck. So, it's kind of spicy. I don't think it's particularly top tier. It had some other interesting cards, which we're definitely going to be able to see in decks like this, because a problem that you have with Indomitable Creativity is if you draw all your combo pieces, oops, can't cheat them out of the deck in there in my hand. So this list runs Fire Prophecy, which is a card from Ikoria, which meant that you can put a card from your hand on the bottom of your deck, which actually makes combos like this quite consistent and was a card that for a long time I thought was always lacking in these decks. And because there's like a draw card from like 15 years ago that does this, but I thought it was quite spicy. Winota also plays uh, that card and their sideboard, as that oh, that's yeah. their uh, sweep of uh, removal right there. Just because same thing, same concept. Put the Angra Marauder on the bottom. Oh yeah, uh, you never want to draw that card. That is the yeah, worst thing in the world to hard cast. And then things like Fable Passage, you could shuffle your deck. So with Winoda, it even ends up higher up in your deck, so you don't have to get it from the bottom. With Indomitable Creativity, you obviously don't have to shuffle your deck, because you're just going to go through your whole deck. But yeah, very nice card, and nice. I thought this deck was a nice display of like, hey, look at these new cards, and things they're doing. Um, then another list that showed up, which also displayed a lot of new cards, was four-color humans, and actually in two varieties. So there was a Legends Humans list, which ran um, General Kudro, um, Kithian, uh, Niambi from M21, 
and then I think it's called General's Enforcer, which is a card from Ikoria that gives all your legendary creatures indestructible. So this is like four-color human legend tribal. And then there was another list that was four-color humans, and then an energy sub-theme. And it ran a... Um, maybe you can guess what this card is. It's a Simic card for three mana. Was it the band And band-in band standard. Yeah. And it's not Oko. It was Rogue Refiner. I can't believe that card was banned. I still can't. It literally comes in. It cantrips. It gives you energy. So this had this card advantage thing going on. And I don't know if these lists are like going to be super good. They showed up in one copy. But I wanted to point them out because they were sweet lists. I love these four-color human decks. They were so well-built. I love them. Humans can be definitely a deck in any Eternal format, I feel like. Pioneer is obviously going to be the weakest form of humans, obviously. Um, but, I mean, every set they print humans, so why not? It's going to keep growing. And uh, if they eventually reprint, like I said last week, how Mono White, in order to be a deck again, needs that reprint of Thalia to have that extra identity, rather than being the Sun Gun deck, which is obviously no longer a <laughs> thing. Um, that's easy to just put into humans, right? That's what they play in modern. So if they ever get that reprint, I think humans is a genuine deck. And it's fringe now. It's it's on the it's on the cusp. So if they just get one extra piece or God forbid three extra pieces, because I don't know what Wizards is doing over there, they might just give us Thalia um and literally any other genuine, genuinely strong human. <laughs> just an Uro on a human. That there you go. That's what they do. I mean, you saw what happened in Ixalan. We got Unclaimed Territory and Kitesil Freebooter, and suddenly humans was a thing. Yeah. So it might actually be on the fringe. Now, one card I want to mention, and then I'll ask Matt about this deck that I forgot to mention, is Dire Tactics. That is one hell of a removal spell. And it has literally no drawback if you have a human on board. It's just Ors of Mana, Exile a Creature, done with it. Fantastic in this meta. Fantastic against Uro. General Kudro makes sure they're probably won't even be an Uro. I love this deck. Had you seen the list before, Matt? I've not seen the specific list you're talking about. I've seen four-color humans. Um, it hasn't been a popular deck. I've seen it, though. It's fun to watch. It's fun to play against. It, I, I don't know that it'll ever be meta, at least not with the current cards that we have. Who knows? We got Zendikar Rising coming up. They could throw in just a busted human, and then all of a sudden, Niptolite is now the second best deck. Who knows? <laughs> but I think it'll be... I think humans right now is going to stay on the fringe for a while, at least until we get some good human cards into Pioneer. Modern, obviously, is where humans is going to stay great. I mean, I did say last week that I think Mono White Human Tribal could be an interesting deck especially if you run yorian as the commander for that deck so it'll be interesting to watch especially since we have cards like unclaimed territory that just make it easier to play four colors of any tribal deck really but humans especially i think when you're looking at tribal humans is definitely the one to look at i think that's nice for us human fans out there that your deck seems to have life to it go and enjoy it while it lasts I just want to point out, um, if we look back, I mean, this, these kind of decks are certainly viable, and I think this is pretty comparable to uh, humans. If we look back at the beginning of the format before Theros released, actually, it might actually have been the first event post-Theros. It even still was played in tournament and did pretty well. It made the top eight. Because I remember watching this tournament. I think it was a Star City Games uh, event. There was an Orzov mid-range list 
that ran the two drop human exerter from Amonkhet, uh, the glory bound initiate. Yes. Is the name of it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I cannot even express how excited I was to see that card slapped down on a table on camera in 2020. It was beautiful. I was texting my friends. I was like, do you see this? Do you see this Orzhov midrange playing history of Benalia as well, just as a value engine, some, some value Gideons. You had uh, Ally of Zendikar in there. And then, you know, your thought seeds, your fate of push and stuff like that. But it was just the epitome of a fair, mid-rangey skewing towards aggro uh deck and maybe that's a card that humans can kind of adopt because there's so many humans in every set that just randomly are like wow this is suddenly good yeah the only way they can make it better is instead of playing just a glory bound initiate they follow it up with an always watching so they can exert it every turn like there's that that's when we go into like the real throwback to that format what about the new human that's the uh, pseudo Adanto's uh, Vanguard from Ikoria that's being uh, seen play in standard? Oh, that when you tap it, it gets indestructible. Yeah, you have, you have to discard, right? Discard a card to give it indestructible? I think so. Right? So maybe a little bit too much of a downside for Pioneer. I know it's seeing standard play as the new Adanto's Vanguard, but like that. The, the only problem I have with these decks, and this is like when we're going into and we talk about a bit later about Nif being in the format. Where it's yeah. probably all these decks were co forced out by combo, but now they might still be forced out by Niv. But before I go and talk more about Niv, there's two more lists I want to mention. And they were kind of, one had some interesting uh, changes to it because there was a fair amount of blue white control. I think you told me Louis Scott Vargas was also playing it in a challenge. And yep. a lot of the lists looked very similar. And then I bumped into one list from Tech Ninja 701, which ran Maze Mind Tome which is a new card from M21, which I thought was quite interesting as like a value piece. And one card that I've been playing for a little bit, and I don't know if I mentioned it last week, I don't think I did. And as a counter spell, it ran a 2-2 split between Absorb and Void Shatter. Now, Void Shatter is a double interesting card because for starters, it exiles when it counters, which is super relevant in this format. But it also has Devoid, which means it is technically a colorless card which means your opponent has to pay three mana if they want to Mystical Dispute it, rather than the one mana. And yeah, considering that's... that Mystical Dispute, I believe in one of the preliminaries, was literally the most played card. At least in some of the events, it was either the most played card or one of the most played cards. The, the challenger was sitting at 46%, which is the cyborg card, so we have to keep that in mind. It's not main decked yet, uh, but still, 46% is the highest percentage. The next one was, I believe, in that Saturday challenge was uh, three fairy at 40%. Yeah, so, like, having a counterspell that is actually uh, cannot be um, mystical disputed, or at least not as easily, can actually be pretty relevant, right? If Sultai midrange decks start popping up more again, or even, like, Niv Delight, they'll very often go, like, turn six, try and cast a Niv with one blue mana as a backup, and they'll feel very safe about, oh yeah, I can mystical dispute your counterspell. And because I ramped out, you only have, like, four mana, so what are you going to do? Well, Void Shatter. Ta -da. Yeah, and that's extremely strong. Void Shatter is a is a pretty cool meta. Uh, it's meta a blowout call. card. It can really blow yeah. people out, even though it's just a simple three mana hard counter. Yeah, some of these decks are just really heavily reliant on things like Uro, and um, that's kind of like their key value engine. Um, Sultai Midrange and Sultai Delirium, which we can talk about that in a second, how they're kind of split between the two. Um, that 
that's one of the key ones where it's you know pretty relevant. They can get other value pieces, but killing Uro is so big for that deck and stopping Uro. Oh, yeah, I stupidly um, forgot forgot to mention all the Sultai lists that it will. Oops. <laughs> uh, that might be. We'll we'll skip over. So we'll talk about Sultai. We'll skip over. I uh, want to give a good shout out to Sheffen who played Golgari Citadel combo, which was like an Aristocrats deck. But because of Woe Strider and Catacomb Shifter, it can scry so often that it can probably resolve a Golgari, uh, Bolas' Citadel, and just go through its whole deck. And with cards like Zulipur Cutthroat, it could probably gain the life. Most of the cards in the deck are very cheap. Cards uh, on their Blister Pod, which means you've got two bodies, so you get like three, four, five scries in, whatever. And I thought that list was super sweet. Uh, I looked at it and I thought, who the hell brought a Shadows over Innistrad standard deck? To a pioneer tournament, and then I noticed the bolus of Citadel, and I was sold. Deck's great. It's in the eighth of August preliminary. If ever, anyone wants to pick it up, by Sheffen. There is one thing yeah. uh, I was noticing. We're looking at a lot of the control decks, and LSV's list is uh, omitted from this, obviously, because I think LSV is a uh, very much of a traditionalist. He loves his blue white control, and he doesn't yes. want to hurt his baby and you know, change <laughs> anything too much. But if we look through a lot of these control lists through the challenge and other events as well, they are skewing heavy into the Yorian side of things. Um, I'm seeing a lot of 80 card control lists, uh, Esper control being one of them. That's not often and... blue white though. Blue white, I've unless I've got looked over some things incorrectly. I thought the blue white list were mostly 60 cards, like very traditional. But once you get into an extra color, like Band or Esper, when you get more blink value, that's when they yeah, as you said, like almost always go into Orion decks. Yeah, I've seen I think you're right, blue white leans a bit more towards the 60 card. I've seen a handful of the blue white uh 80 card list, but you're right, uh, going to three colors is definitely when they bring in the extra or the Orion to get more value. And I wonder if it's just is that right? Like, do we want to always bring in Yorian, even if it's Esper? Like, can you just, can you still find the consistency? I mean, you know, Fatal Push, Thoughtseize, and stuff like that, and a 60-card shell of Esper, and things like Eliminate, um, Othakaya. You have plenty of other stuff to kind of play and get value from. Do we need to get the extra 20 cards in there to make sure we're hitting all of it? Or can you just be consistent regardless? I guess it might just be to go over the top of other decks. I don't know if uh, Matt... Uh... I've been talking a lot. I don't know if you uh, know anything about this, Matt. I just, I think I've always, I've said this since the beginning. Yorian is the best companion. People liked Luris, but I think Yorian is just objectively better. And being able to blink cards that have good ETBs is just, it's always going to do more. The When you go up 20 cards, especially if you're in a blue color, if you have blue in your deck, I mean, you're going to have card draw anyway, so that 80 cards doesn't matter as much you can just draw through them a little bit quicker. And then, you know, you're blinking cards, especially if you're playing stuff like Uro. You know, you can blink Uro. That's just an extra card draw every turn. I mean, it might be a bit dangerous, though, because Uro dies when you're blinking. Yeah. So you do lose your 6-6. Six, six. Yeah. Yeah, you do lose your 6-6, six, six, but, I mean, you're replacing it with a 4-5 of flying. It's not like, it's not like Yorian is a weak card. He can swing and do damage himself. He doesn't have good swing triggers, but he does damage. And sometimes can't even kill it with a revolted push. Say that again. Can't even kill it with a revolted push. It's a five drop. Can't eliminate it either. Yeah, you can't even even if you pay the extra cost on fatal push. Fatal push can't hit it either. You know what? Uh, you know what can't hit it though? 
well, humans with their beautiful dire uh, tactics. Yeah, humans can hit it. So maybe maybe humans is the right medical here to kind of overcome these uh, these big Yorian lists because you know what else ran Yorian and uh, at pretty solid numbers was Niptolite. Yeah, I, I mean I feel like the humans lists are very good against graveyard decks. So also like Dredgeless Dredge is a deck that did show up a little bit. Uh, Soltai, which might be uh, time to start talking about that deck too. Uh, that's where really like they're very graveyard reliant and the human decks are very good. But I do feel like the human decks are very fringe, but it might be time to actually talk about the Sultai deck. So we've now mentioned it a lot. Uh, because there's actually two flavors of Sultai. Um, there is a definite difference between Sultai midrange and Sultai delirium. They probably play at a similar pace, but the delirium decks are much more toolboxy. You see much, way more one-offs. There's obviously cards like Ishkana that are really good against spirits. Like, Ishkana is just such a beating for spirits that I can imagine that becoming a little bit more popular. But a very uh, well-performing uh, player from Salt Isaac specifically is one yo 2 yo which I had to go through all these names, and some people on Modo have fantastic names, and some have just read, I literally can't read. But one yo 2 yo had a Salt Eye list, which was mid-range, and it ran two cards that really stood out. And one was Hydroid Crassus, which is a card we probably all fondly or not so fondly remember from Standard, which is still seeing some play there too. But maybe the spicier card is Pelucranos Unchained. And you were talking earlier about how much you uh, hate Escape as a mechanic. Well, I believe this is the deck for you, Alex. Yeah, yeah. like there's never a single card in your graveyard because you just keep playing the same cards over and over. It's no, Uro or Pelucranos. Pick your points. You don't have uh, too much room to talk because you're a Grixis player, so you play four of Dig Through Time, so your graveyard's pretty empty most of the time as well. No, I only play two, but yes, my graveyard is mostly empty. <laughs> but Pelucranos is interesting. Well, I want to know on both of them first. Let's, so let's actually talk about Hydrocrasis first. The reason we haven't seen this card played nearly as much, we saw it pop up a teeny bit at the very beginning of the format. Um, I believe when we were looking at the Simic Devotion, when Oka was legal. And yeah, Ron when Green you could make like 24 power. mana on turn four. Yeah, where it's like, <laughs> you can push it, I don't care, because I just drew 12 cards. Uh, <laughs> so, But that was why Crasis was kind of weak over the last few months, um, especially because it's a bit too slow for um, for combo whenever it was relevant. Um, you make a big flyer cool, but Demir and Verter can either push it or they just win on their turn regardless. So Crisis was in a really rough spot. And it's still in a weird spot because push is legal in the format. Though maybe we'll see it pop up more. It, it seems like a meta call. Uh, I know we were talking about this uh, before the cast, Alex. Uh, we were kind of thinking that it's seemingly there to kind of combat Niptolite, which we'll talk about that a bit more in a little bit. Because Niv Delight is the grindiest of outvaluing, you know, everything else right now. So trying to kind of keep up and have that draw engine in there is kind of cool. And I guess the more stuff you dump in your yard, the more you can escape. I'm going to assume that's why the Pelucranos is in there. Like, if you could run a fifth Uro, they probably would. But yeah. you can't. And they just wanted another card. Maybe maybe there people were targeting Uro. Maybe he played some leagues before. And a lot of people cast, like, extraction effects on his Uro. So, Pelucranos, I mean, granted, it's a 12-12 when you escape it. So, the clock yeah. is more than fast. And it has the fight effect on it, doesn't it? The oh, yeah, it does that to three mana, and then you can fight. But he does shrink when he takes damage. So yeah, and that, that's You can't fine. keep fighting it's forever. 
it's escapable, so you can, you know, but a 12-12, you can fight a handful of times, and that just could be enough to remove something. Like, let's say you fight an Uro, for example, and it just goes down to a 6-6 after that, but it's still a 6-6. You six, could even six fight player. another Uro. Yeah. Like, fight your Niv, swing for 6, you block with your Uro, whatever, I have 2 for 1 you. Yeah, and it's weird because looking at the meta as far as removal goes, I mean, the, the decks that are going to remove it the most are going to be either black or something that has Teferi to bounce it. Which, you know, bouncing the Pukernos with Teferi is definitely going to feel bad. Uh, but the black cards that we, we're seeing as the sweep of removal cards are going to be Eliminate, um, Heartless Act. We're seeing some one over two ofs in a lot of these black decks, which, you know, both those cards, for the most part, don't hit Pukernos. They hit them on, you know, curve when you, you know, get them on. And, eliminate doesn't hit them at all. No, and Heartless Act only hits him. Actually, does Pelucanos come in with six counters, or is it a six-six that gets six counters when it? It is a zero-zero that gets six when it's cast, and it gets twelve when it's escaped. Yeah, so you can actually just never hit it with Heartless Act. Yeah, so that that's a bad card for it. We're not seeing. I mean, even if it was seeing play, Cast Down doesn't hit it. It's a legendary, and it's yeah. multicolored. You can't ultimate price it. Nope. And there's a decline in Hero's Downfall, for sure, especially since Eliminate was printed. And the other option is Murderous Rider. So we're seeing Murderous Rider being able to hit it, and that's kind of it. Um, unless we and Dreadbore. Dreadbore is very Dread popular. Dreadboar, I, yeah, I guess you're kind of happy if they, like, even if you, like, don't escape it, you just cast your 4-mana 6-6, six, six, and they Dreadbore it. Well, yeah. the end of the world. Like, My yeah, it's 2-mana up, but... My initial thought was looking at it and going, well, maybe they just side it out against Nymph Delight because they have ways to kind of bounce it or kill it. But then I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, no, just keep it in because it's another threat they have to deal with. That's a two-turn clock. That's not anything to stop at. I guess the Sultai strategy, which, I mean, is very tried and true to what Sultai does, I think even lore-wise what the Sultai do, is just throw a lot of stuff at your opponent. And eventually, they're not even a they're not able to kill your stuff, and then you overrun them with stuff. And it hardly matters what it is, as long as it's recursible or it's big or you have a lot of it. And that yeah. seems to be the recipe for success in this deck. Just run a lot of stuff. Going back to Pelucranos for a minute, Mono Green actually has something that can do quite well against Pelucranos as well, because it has it runs Voracious Hydro. And Voracious Hydro, when you enter it, it gets to either double its counters or it can fight a creature so you can either you can even go either way if you don't have enough mana to make it big on its own you just double the counters and now your creature is bigger than theirs if you do have enough to make it bigger than pelucranos right off the bat you just have it fight pelucranos and now their pelucranos is gone well and pelucranos has no uh, evasion it doesn't have trample i believe which is definitely like a big issue for the deck yeah we're not seeing much uh, trample enablers uh being played, unless it's in a very niche kind of deck. Um, I think Argoy Phoenix might play some of the... Uh, what's the one from Amonkhet? Crash Through? Crash Through. So yeah. I guess if you're right, if you're playing Mono Green against Pelucranos, you either have the Voracious Hydra, which is, it just becomes massive, or you just chump it with an elf once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. And you could probably get over the top with uh, with the Mono Green. Actually, oh, I want to ask you... Yeah, you go ahead. Um, we're, we were talking about a little bit how we were in Simic before for Devotion, and I know that was a completely different deck that was making a 9-9 Walking Bliss on turn 3 pretty consistently. Um, is it worth exploring splashing other colors for Mono Green? I know right now we're just seeing straight up Mono Green as is, 
but is it worth trying to you know throw in like a one or two of of like hydrocrasis if we're going in the simic route um or is there any other color worth trying i think if you're gonna try and put in another color it's got to be blue because then you have access to uro you have to crasis and start running counter spells so that you can make big creatures and they can't or other things like that I'm sorry, my dogs are barking in the background. I don't know. If- it's okay. They, they're, they're either agreeing with you or they are completely disagreeing, yeah. saying no blue, stay green. I think if it's, I think if you're going to splash a color, I think it's blue. I think for consistency's sake, I think green is where you really want to be because nothing feels bad than drawing a hand where you have four green creatures and three islands. Makes sense. I mean, Oath of Nyssa can fix it for the Planeswalkers, but when you can't cast a turn one dork because you don't have the correct mana in your pool, it feels bad, man. I, I guess the problem was mostly tapped lands, too. Because you can get um, Hinterland Har... I think what I'm thinking of is Hinterland Harbor, Botanical Sanctum, and Breeding Pool. But two out of those three lands aren't forests, which is obviously terrible for Nyssa. And Botanical Sanctum eventually comes in tapped, and Hinterland Harbor... It's just inconsistent. Or you could run Yavimaya Coast. Uh, that doesn't have the problem Hinton and Harbor has. It might be better, actually. But the yeah, Yavimaya Coast is probably better than uh, Hinton and Harbor. But that's, that, that still doesn't solve the issue of not being a forest. So yeah. if your opponent has like Botanical Sanctum, Botanical Sanctum, a forest, and two Yavimaya Coast, that Nissa is suddenly not as scary. Like, she's still horrifying because it's Nissa. But you don't have this like. Like turbo out Anissa, make a infinite infinite voracious Hydra. I guess you just stumble sometimes, and you yeah, just want the consistency. It seems like at that point you probably shift away a little bit from running four Nissas to rather running one or two at the top end to try and just have that cool little finisher. The deck obviously would look vastly different. I think um, you would still go with the Karn idea, maybe. Um, I think if you're actually, go maybe blue, not. I think if you're gonna go blue, you dump Karn. Yeah, because you want sideboard cards. Yeah, that's like true. Like mystical disputes and stuff. You might even dump, so. you might even dump Vivian at that point and look at a blue planeswalker like uh, Jace. So then I guess we're just going into a completely different deck, and I guess that's the thing with mono green now. It's just don't change a uh, don't change a winning recipe, right? Like right. Doomwake, like literally didn't get a single loss in the challenge yesterday, and he just steamrolled his way to the win. Like yeah. He, and he beat uh, Niv to Light in the uh, finals, so maybe Mono Green's the deck. To I mean, I watched that. That draw was pretty, pretty phenomenal. Like, I think he, I think in all three games, he kept seven and started with an elf. That yeah, that yeah, sounds good for that, Green. That, that seems like a like a good way to win some magic. Well, when you're running ten elves or at least ten dorks, doesn't necessarily have to be elves. I mean, you're. You're pretty. You're not guaranteed, but you're getting up there in probability of you're going to have an elf in your first hand. And the nice, another nice thing about mono green is you you can keep a one lander because you get the dork on turn one, so that still gives you the turn two play. You still have you have two draws to draw your second land. Yeah, it just seems like green or mono green is a is a deck that's pretty set up for success. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to see that one go away anytime soon. But again, this is all to be taken with a grain of salt. It's the first week, and the meta will definitely shift and kind of pivot in different directions once we get in the next coming weeks. But before we probably move on to Niv to Light, was there any other decks that you guys wanted to go over in these challenges at all? 
I think I've gone over pretty much what I wanted to go over. I saw a, a Demir control list that started running Mutavolt, and it's mana based for a control list, which I thought was interesting. Uh, trying to like squeeze the most value as, as you can. I think it ran fewer Field of Ruin, and it tried to get some Mutavolts in its mana base, but that was like a one off. I wasn't too sold on the deck. I think I've covered pretty much everything I want to talk about. All right. Sounds good. Um... Matt, anything you want to add? Uh, I mean, we could talk about the burn deck for a second. We kind of just glanced right over that. There was one, it looks like oh, yes. burn deck played. Oh, uh, and the challenge on Saturday. I yeah. see it was, it's just the typical, looks like the stock uh, Luris uh, burn deck. Um, I believe I talked about this a little bit last week. I think it's uh, going to be a deck that just sticks around. It just seems good enough to you know hang with a lot of decks, get under a lot of decks. I mean, I'm I'm sure this has a a fairly good matchup if you draw the nuts against uh you could say that against for any deck, but versus Niv Delight, I think it gets under pretty easily. But I'm I'm worried that like it just gets stonewalled if they uh if they stumble at all. I mean, the the deck is just horrible against Uro, like most red burnish decks are. There were some lists that showed you were right. The Boros Burn deck did show up, and I feel I feel like that's going to be one of these sort of look consistent players. It's like the burn deck is almost always going to be there. It's a good entry point into a format. Uh, it's a pretty powerful deck. Uh, if you play modern burn, you might actually have some of the pieces. Though I think the most expensive pieces of modern burn are not pioneer legal. Um, yeah, and then there was that, and there was also some tour brand lists, one or two. I'm not too sold on them, mostly because they're terrible against Euro. Yeah, I want to see Gordbringer come back, but it's just not good against Niv Delight. If if it if it did six damage on Exertion, which that'd be ridiculous, obviously. Cool. But I mean, that's, that's actually, just the norm, right? uh, it doesn't matter if it does six because Niv Mizzet is a dragon, and Glorybringer cannot hit dragons. It does oh, four yeah. damage to a non-dragon creature. That's depressing. Well, Glorybringer, <laughs> I'm sorry, you're gonna. So have to even if Glorybringer did six damage, it might not be good enough it because they. Because when they well when they errata that to deal six damage, they'd probably errata Uro to be a dragon at the same time. So Oh my god. <laughs> That's terrifying. You well, can start I mean, playing Crux of hey, Look, if they errata Uro to and I know we're just joking, but if they ever did that, uh Baneslayer Angel's coming in, man. Oh that's, that's 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 the card. But <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Um there were what was it? Almost ten Niv to light lists in the top thirty-two of this challenge on uh, Saturday. We yeah, I mean the, have... the majority was Niv. If you look at Goldfish, it looks like Spirit is the most played deck, but that's because sixty card Niv to light and eighty card Niv to light are noted as two different decks. Yeah, uh, the eighty card is Wooberg, and then Niv to light is just normal. Yeah, um, but if you add those up, they are actually the most played deck. And we don't have all the numbers yet, it looks like, from the event yesterday. They haven't quite dumped them. Yeah, I just double-checked. They haven't dumped them yet. But we have a good idea. We we know of a few Mipdalite decks in the top 32 from people on Twitter. Like Andre Manguchi, I know, went 7-2, and two, hitting 17th yesterday in the showcase. Um, and I know second place was also Mipdalite as well. So Niftalite's certainly here, and a lot of the pro players seem to think that that's the way to go in this new grindy uh, meta we're in for Pioneer. And I want to ask you guys, is there any 
cause for concern at all in this direction? Do we think Nivtolite's a fine deck to have in the format? Is this a deck you want to be the top deck in the format? I personally think there is absolutely like close to no uh no reason to be worried yet. It's the first week. People expected this deck to be good. A lot of people picked it up. Uh just like Mono Green, it's a deck that was mostly already there. So there was little tweaking to be done. So it it's an obvious good pick for the start. And it, it looks it certainly looks like a really powerful deck. It was a very powerful deck, and it probably I, I can't imagine this deck ever being like bad. But unless they ban Teferi. Yeah, they banned the fairy. Uh, if they ever ban Uro, it would lose a lot of consistency or a lot of uh, potential. But I, I, it's been a week. I, I don't even want to like uh, entertain the thought of what are we banning next. Like we're not banning anything. Come on. Yeah, right. yeah, no ban talk. I, I'm, I'm more so saying, if the meta settles in the next couple of weeks and Niptolite's just sitting at the top. Is that what you envision as a healthy metagame, or is is that what you it, envision as the premier it, metagame in Pioneer? It depends on how accessible uh, answers to this deck are. Like, um, by now, it seems like a very tough deck to beat. For example, a card that would probably be pretty good against is a card like Torpor Orb, which is obviously not legal in this format. Um, it depends on how much it pushes out. Uh, last week, I made the horribly incorrect call, after all, that uh, every grindy deck wins out when combo goes. Well, that's not true because Niv is just by far the grindiest deck. So if that stays the case, where like you can hardly ever play a fair deck because you should probably just play Niv if you want to play fair, I don't want to play that meta, but I don't mind a meta where Niv is top dog if there is a reasonable plan that a lot of decks can implement to beat it. Well, and Niv isn't like Inverter the inverter deck or like, i don't hate the deck no like i have nothing against the deck i think it's a cool deck so as long as it's beatable yeah i don't care if it's the top deck and that's exactly what i was going to say niv is a beatable deck it's not just the instant win that a lot of the decks that we just banned were where it's like there are most decks just either don't have an answer or the answer is just not useful you you answer with their threat and then they just respond with the same thing again niv is beatable and I don't even think it matters what deck you're running. I think that there are answers to Niv in most decks. Or at least there's the potential to have answers to Niv in most decks. There's Hushbringer in white uh, is a card that is pretty good that I've seen people still play. Used to like be played against Inverter because that relied on Enter the Battlefield effects. But hey, turns out Niv Delight does that too because Niv Mizzet is an Enter the Battlefield effect. So that could be a good card. Uh, last week I made the claim that um, Thoughtseize Medium Clock is good enough now in this format. I don't know if that is true now, but Thoughtseize is still certainly a good card against Niv. Um, can you guys think of answers in other colors? Uh, blue obviously has counter magic. Green, like I said earlier, has stuff like Voracious Hydra, even other cards any mildly big creature that you can just force to fight Niv to remove Niv, just run four of those, and every time they cast a Niv, you cast one of those, fight it, and even if it's a one-for-one one trade, you're going to come out on top, because if they can't ever keep a Niv on the board, then they're not playing a Niv deck anymore. I think the fear of that, uh, that ideology for just fighting it or getting rid of the Niv, I think that's not good enough because 
when Niv hits the board, almost every time when they get to look at that those 10 cards deep and grab a card, one of them is a Bring the Light. And they can just kind of get another Niv again, or they even hit another Niv off of that. No, actually, no, Niv doesn't, is an illegal hit. No, it's, Niv is a, no legal hit. It has to be a guild. But yeah, they'll have Bring the Light. And they hit their sweep of removals and things like that to kind of keep it going. That's why the deck is so grindy. Um, 10 cards is so deep. Going yeah. 10 cards into your deck, my god. <laughs> hitting and, and just hitting three cards is just good enough. Like that's Especially because it's three spells. It's not draw yes. three, it's get three spells. And you choose. So if you have these cards and you're like, I mean, they could be the only legal targets, that's obviously a possibility. But if you yeah. have multiple options and you're just like, Ooh, what's I mean, they, they uh, even found a good Boros card to put in the deck. Now that is impressive. <laughs> with Nahiri the Harbinger. Oh, yeah. Dude, Nahiri's cool. Um, It's a nice little removal option. But even bring out Niv. Like, you yeah. threaten to just bring a Niv out of your deck and bounce it back to your hand. Like, That's Nahiri ult means you get Niv, it triggers, you dunk, you dunk your opponent for six, and then it goes back to your hand. Yeah, and you spin the wheel again. Yeah, um, why not? If we're talking about specific decks that I think are good against Niv, I honestly feel like if there's any grindy deck that can potentially outvalue Niv or just be too much for Niv to kind of deal with, it's honestly that dredgeless dredge list, the Sultai dredge. I think, you know, being, I mean, if you hit a few of your Silver Smoke Ghouls and your Prize Amalgams, and the big thing is with Silver Smoke Ghoul now, if you, and this deck has to play 4 Uro now because you want that life gain consistency for mm -hmm. Ghoul. Yeah. If you, if you escape Uro, first off, that's a great card on its own. In a vacuum, we know that Uro's completely busted. But when they bring out the Silver Smoke Ghouls from getting those three life, the Silver Smoke Ghouls trigger your prize amalgams on your opponent's end step. So you're putting them in a position that they're going to board wipe. They have to have a Teferi on board to be able to instant speed it to hit your prize amalgams, or they just get your ghouls and your Uro, and then you have three or you know two or three prize amalgams or even a full playset hit the board anyway. That's you know six, nine, twelve power on board. And if you can consistently put the pressure on them, which I think Dredge Dredge certainly can, just by how wide they go, plus Driven Despair is a card, that's a very good card. Hitting Menace on your board when you go wide, getting rid of their entire hand, and yeah, then just mind twist your opponent. Like Yeah, and, and like I said, if you, as long as you keep Teferi off the board and you kill their Planeswalkers, Teferi and uh, uh, Nahari, uh, those are the ways you win. And even if they drop a Niv and you're like, cool, you got you know, Dreadbore, right? Or you got a Niv to like go into another Niv eventually. But what are you gonna do? Dreadboard my one prize amalgam? I got three more on board. I mean, yeah, so I, I, I didn't consider the Driven to Despair, which I actually think is a really good point. Which also made me realize like, yeah, now I might actually see why some of these Niv lists have gone to main deck and even sideboard upwards of like three Rakdos's return. Because I guess one way to deal with your opponent like tapping out and stocking up their hand is just discarding the whole thing. Yeah. If your opponent finds four good spells, well, good job. All four go into your graveyard. Yeah. And especially instant speed. Like, that's so bad if they have Teferi out and they rack this return on your upkeep. <laughs> on your draw And you're step. just like, you're <laughs> like, oh, no. I just lost everything. I hope I discarded three Uros. That's my only <laughs> chance. <laughs> Which, that's another thing we should probably mention. Um, we talked about this last week. Um, the two cards we were kind of, you know, having some caution regarding 
and we talked about Teferi at length, and we talked a little bit about Uro. Those are the two cards that we feel like are on the lookout to be meta-warping. Uh, obviously, Alex, you mentioned that we don't need to worry about you know Teferi unless we start seeing that uh, the two ships passing the night kind of uh, meta, yeah. where it's just, you know, it's, it's Teferi, no interaction, and then that's how you do it. So this is a deck that's winning right now, and it's a deck that not only is a Teferi deck, it is an Uro deck. Those are the two cards we were worried about. Yeah, so no surprise here. Yeah, so and not only is the deck super grindy, it plays the two cards that we think are meta warping, and obviously we're not calling for any bans now. This is that that'd be ridiculous. But is this the deck that eventually, sometime in the future, gets one of these cards banned if we just start seeing this deck continue the way it is for the next month or two? I. Like you said, we're not calling for bans right this minute. I think we need to let the meta settle before we start figuring out where the bans are going to go. I actually found myself, after listening to Alex and having that conversation last week, I'm now convinced Teferi is a completely fair card, as long as it doesn't cause the two ships passing in the night problem. And that's surprising for me to say, because I hated Teferi since the moment it came out. But now I really think Uro is the more objectively broken card. And so my fear, though, is because Teferi is already not liked, if, they ban, if they're saying we need to shut this deck down, we need to ban one of them, my fear is they're going to ban Teferi and leave Uro. Because if, they're, if it's a toss-up and they say, well, it could be either one of these that go, but people don't like Teferi, let's just get rid of Teferi, that could be bad. I mean, I mean that does also just instantly shut down Nib. Yeah, I think you make a good point there. Like, I've, I, I'm, again, also not calling for bans or anything. I do say, I uh, will say, if one of these cards ends up being banned, at first glance, it would probably be because of Niftalite. If we eventually get a card banned. But it's not surprising that this deck does well. Right? We're like, oh, the two cards that might have been eligible for this ban list too were Uro and Teferi. So obviously, the deck that's able to use both of them well and because they're guild color, they're obviously guild combinations with Tefer with Uro, you can uh, sorry with Niv, you can find them easily. Yeah, of course it's going to be a super good deck. Now I'm not sure if I find Uro or Teferi like more egregious because this two ships passing in the night style of magic, Teferi does very much encourage that. Like if you both have a Teferi on the board, you literally have to play like that. Like. You, you can't interact, because the card literally says no instant speed interaction for you. So, now I do agree that Uro being, like, a disgusting card, and I think, like, that Niftalite is probably... I'm not sure which card it needs more. I think it needs to ferry more, because it's just super important that its threats stick, whereas Uro is just gravy. Like, you've already got your super grindy deck, and now your deck is more grindy. But obviously, if you ban, for example, this again, hypothetically, if you ban Uro, then everyone is going to lose Uro. So everyone becomes less grindy. So Niv is still going to be the grindy deck to grind them all out. Because everybody lost an X amount of grind. But then you're looking at, we talked about this earlier, you mentioned it, that one deck that uh, Matt brought up was Burn. And you're saying that the deck feels like it just loses to Uro. Without Uru in the meta, Burn comes up, and that's the deck that is able to get underneath Niv now that it's a bit slowed down. So that just shakes up the meta altogether. And, and True. Again, we're, we're going on a tangent where it's a big hypothetical thing, and we don't want to spend too much time on this. But 
it's definitely an interesting thing to kind of discuss because, you know, I'm not sure. And this is what I was saying last week uh, with the lack of combo. And it's not a complete lack. We're seeing Lotus put up a couple of results here and yeah. there and some of the prelims in the challenge. But we might need to see more of that pop up to kind of combat uh, this Niv Delight strategy. And one thing I'm actually wondering is uh, where's the ramp? Where's the ramp decks? We're not seeing any of that yet. We're not seeing. Well, why'd you play ramp Negan. if you can play Niv? True, but I mean, is Niv better than an Ulamog or like a Yugen? Yes. Really? I, 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 I mean, like, yeah, of course. Niv Mizzet isn't as strong as Ulamog because Niv is a five mana card and Ulamog is a ten mana card. But yeah. oh, overall, I feel like even if your opponent goes like Ugin minus whatever, you have to like minus five him at least wipe the board, then you're like, okay, cool, but I resolved Niv, and I have seven more cards in my hand that are gonna grind you out. That's so true. I feel like Ramp just, like, it, it lacks the extra punch. Like, it can probably turbo out an Ugin. Okay, and then they Dreadbore your Ugin. What now? They have seven cards in their hand, you have two. Oh, look, you top deck the land, because there's 35 in your deck. Like, you probably have to go a, um, uh, what's the, the Eldrazi? The one that, it's a Thoughtseize on a body. The four drop. Uh, thought not, sir. Yeah, you probably have to play place sort of that in the ramp deck at that point. I mean, and... at that point, we're kind of just playing Eldrazi Tribal, which, you know, you play your thought not, sir, for disruption, and then you try and cast, like, a turn five Hour of Promise, find two Temple of the False God, and then slam your Ulamog the turn after. I, mean, I just that feel like could... that's weak. If you want ramp, Mono Green can ramp into Ulamog or Emrakul, both of yeah. them. Yeah, really... I mean, yeah, true. Mono Green's probably better at it. Yeah, Mono, I mean, yeah. it runs both of them in the sideboard, and it's not uncommon to hard cast Ulamog or Emrakul turn 5 or turn 6. I've even seen Ugin show up in one or two Mono Green lists. Yeah. So I just feel like the straight-up ramp deck is just not a thing like it is in Standard. Yeah, ramp is here, it's just that's not the whole point of the deck. The whole point of Mono Green isn't to just play every land that you possibly can, it's to play a few lands and then get as much value out of those lands as possible with cards like... Because of Nykthos. And even even Nissa too, as well. I mean, because yeah. Nissa, and especially if you're going to play the newer version of this list that comes out that runs Nissa. Uh, vital force you can keep tapping and untapping nykthos over and over and over again and all of a sudden you've got 80 green mana floating now you can cast Emrakul and ulamog and still have enough <laughs> hydra and then play a 30 30 hydra and exactly. you know, beat that <laughs> so, so ramp is there it's just a different form of ramp yeah you're right it's quicker Actually, I think mono green, the mono green version of ramp is actually quicker because you don't have to rely on having as many lands. It's not, it, it doesn't have the problem of when you play a land that enables you to then make more lands. It's like you can you can win a game with mono green by only ever playing three three lands, two forests and a nykthos, and you're there. And and it ramps while playing to the board. Exactly, like a jade light ranger effectively ramps you for two with Nykthos, but it's also a body. Instead of turn one Arboreal Grazer, you go turn one Llanowar Elf, right. and you actually, like, build a board. Yeah, and Jade Light Ranger also, if we want to talk about that card for a second, it helps you find the card you want. It's basically just a worse Oath, oath of Nyssa, because it only looks at the top two instead of the top three. But if you already have three lands in your hand, you upturn a land that goes into your hand. 
unfortunately. But if you already have a Nissa in your hand, and you're playing against something that doesn't have a good Nissa answer, you just throw that second Nissa right into the graveyard, and now you got the second card. Look at that. If you want that, keep it there. If you don't want that there, throw it in your graveyard. It's basically a little bit worse than Oath of Nissa, but it helps find stuff, too. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Mm -hmm. Ramp is definitely a thing. It's just a question of how is Ramp going to manifest itself. Well, before we move on, because something actually just popped up in my feed, and I kind of want to go over this. I'm very excited. I have incredible bias in the subject, but uh, before we get to that... It's related and, to the plane of Amonkhet. That is correct. So Brad is biased. Uh, anyone have any closing thoughts on Pioneer this week and uh, and how we feel about the meta and, and Niv's place in the format? Um. I'm I'm still optimistic. I'm no less optimistic than I was last week. The fact that the known quantities and the deck that and on top the deck that abuses the cards that we all thought were super good is doing well. It's like I would have been shocked if the meta looked very different. Like even even if I made like some calls about like decks that are probably not good enough, like I thought Chonky Rent might actually be playable, and it certainly isn't, I still wouldn't think like those decks would come out in Storm uh, in full force like a week later. Like, no, these, as I said then too, these decks need to figure out like, how do I beat Uro? I guess a question I should have added and forgot. How do I beat Niftalite? And they need to think of how to go through these things. So in the meantime, the best thing is just play the good cards. Just play Niv. Just play Mono Green Devotion. Just play Spirits, because the card, the deck literally hasn't changed, bar like two cards. So I'm not surprised by this meta at all. Uh, I'm worried if it looks like this four weeks down the line. For now, I'm optimistic. Uh, the format looks fun. Uh, I've had a lot of fun playing it, watching it. This is already so much better than it was before. This is so much more fun of a format that I hope it's going to just be all the way up from here. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Matt? I am. I would say I would go so far as to say I'm more optimistic than I was last week. Even uh, everybody seems to be coming back to Pioneer now that it's been made fair again. Um, you know, you want to talk about the server for a second? Our server stats are up across the board for Pioneer. We have more people looking for the games. We have more people competing in our tournaments, all that kind of stuff. And you want to talk about just the community in general. I mean, two weeks ago, it wasn't, in fact, it was more common for a Pioneer event on MTGO not to fire than it was to fire, and now that's not the case anymore. Yeah, my job of going through all the leaks was kind of hard, because there was a lot of data, as opposed to none. Which is a good thing. More work, yeah. for, more work for Alex means that the format is... <laughs> well, it means that the format is growing and people are playing it again. I mean... Yeah, exactly. That's a good thing. You can't ever complain about that. I would rather see a Reddit post like stupid wizards make more servers because my Pioneer event was full than a Reddit post being like stupid wizards do something about the format because it's not firing. Exactly. Going to Nib to Lay specifically, I'm fine with Nib sitting at the top spot. I think even if it... I First of all, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think there are answers to it in every color. I think there are answers to it in most archetypes. Um, but even even if it does get a little bit out of hand, I mean, 
it's still better than playing against another combo deck for the 10th game in a row that's just going to win on turn 4 no matter what. Also, as a countermeasure for the format with mono green and um, Niftalite, because I've seen very few copies of it, blue players, please stop uh, start packing Disdainful Stroke. The card is very good against people who tap out for really expensive cards. Yeah. yeah. So I think Disdainful Stroke just... Mystical Dispute as a 3 or first, but 1 or 2 Disdainful Stroke, are pro you're probably going to be very happy to have those in your sideboard. Either Gust 2. A lot of the cards that are good happen to be green or blue. Well, if you're... Uh, green or red, sorry. If you're going to go into this hypothetical, and again, this is still hypothetical, because there is no meta right now, but if you're going to say Mono Green and Niv are the top dogs, is Mystical Dispute as good as it once was? Because you're talking about one deck where you, you have to cast it for 3 instead of 1, and then yeah but let's because let's not forget about spirits it's great against spirits it's probably a necessity against spirits it's still it a bomb against niv he's blue he's yeah. blue and so is bring the light and so is teferi and so is uro and, they have and importantly that. if you're playing mystical dispute that means you're a blue deck which means your opponent is probably packing mystical dispute against you and you do not want to be the person without mystical disputes because you are going to have an awful time. I've had opening hands against contr with control mirrors with like watery grave, sulfur falls, three mystical dispute, and a thought seize. I'm like, I'm golden. Keep snap. Keep. It reminds me of uh, arena and standard. Ever since mystical dispute's been released, is uh, the amount of times I'd have these just jerk off battles between mystical disputes, like just <laughs> on the stack. Just here's one, here's another, here's another. I've had sh like trains of like four or five mystical disputes before, and it's so stupid. It's the stupidest thing in the world. Or it's just mystical dispute and like Aether Gust, and then they mystical dispute that, and then there's another, then they have a negate, and you're like, well, hey, I have an absorb. I don't know why I didn't use that first, but I have it. And then it's like, okay, cool. Um, but speaking of arena, we had a leak last week. Um, but it's finally been, for the most part, confirmed. We haven't gotten everything yet. We'll get them over the next few days. But it's leaning towards this leak being accurate. We have Amonkhet Remastered coming to Arena. And this is big because we're looking towards Pioneer Masters later in the year, right? And Amonkhet is a big set for, uh, for Pioneer as well. And of course, it's my favorite set, so I'm 100% biased in this regard. But the leak suggested that there were going to be around 10 cards that were coming into this remaster set to be put into historic and assuming pioneer, because these are pioneer legal cards for the most part. There's one or two that aren't. We'll get into those in a second. And those cards were concerning for some people. The leak suggested a collective company, Thoughtseize, Rest in Peace, things like that, going into uh, the oh set. Oh no, how, how awful. Oh, I know. <laughs> Some it's of my like favorite Pioneer. cards. <laughs> uh, oh, the, the Arena subreddit was in flames when they saw Thoughtseize. They're like, oh my god, no. But could you imagine? Historic right now is what Pioneer would be without Thoughtseize. A, <laughs> just a godless format. It is terrifying. <laughs> Thoughtseize is going to be great for Historic because, you know, snapping muxus out of your hand or whatever searches muxus for goblins is pretty important um i have very little to say on historic i have not played a single game of historic so i've it, only watched it it's an interesting format i played a bit i can it's the only place i can still play kethis it's still a good deck i watch mog monday and that's all the historic uh, i see i watch yeah. jim davis play mog monday so i've seen a lot of goblins being cast in historic and not much else 
So we do have some confirmation um, on some of these cards. There are indeed going to be cards. This has been released by Wizards uh, through a couple of websites. One of them is destructoid.com, and the other one is eurogamer.net. They have revealed the, the uh, entire list of the white cards for Almaket coming to uh, the server, or not the server, I'm sorry, the client, as well as a handful of other cards that uh, is coming as well. We have confirmation that Rest in Peace is indeed going to be one of those cards. Uh, and by the way, I'm excited because I hope they get some kind of supplemental product release and paper for these because I didn't think about this, and I should have when I saw the leaks. They're not just releasing these cards into the uh, the server. I keep saying server, into the client. They're not just releasing the cards. They're giving them an Amonkhet reskin with new art. So Rest in Peace has some of the coolest art I've ever seen. It's just literally the mummification. It's a mummy. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to you know, burst bubble, but we've had a lot of art for MDGO specific, uh, yeah. exclusively too, and that didn't come to paper. It's fine. Now granted, I'll, if there is a... Yeah. If we ever get a Pioneer Master set in paper, I'm going to safely assume some of this art is in here. Like, yeah. Rest in Peace is a very good reprint. Like, always well, always happy to see Rest in Peace being reprinted. That so cool. Now, um, if we talk about the cards that are not Pioneer legal, but will be in this set, I could only think of two when I saw the list, which I believe were Shatterstorm and Lord of Extinction. Is there one a, I'm missing? There's Wrath of God. Is apparently going to be an historic, and that's oh yes, that is a masterpiece too. Yeah, that's that's weird. I mean, is it a big problem? Like, what white deck that isn't blue wants a sweeper? Just really like, like just blue control. Yeah, yeah, so they've got supreme verdict. So why would they ever want this card? Uh, I mean, I guess like it might actually be interesting. You get like Orzov control that doesn't have to stretch its mana base to run Kaya's Wrath, or not the downside of Shatter the Sky. Like we obviously don't know if these cards are going to go to Pioneer. They're not confirmed. But... Wrath of God definitely can't. I, I I can't see them. That that makes it a whole. It makes the problem that Historic has, which is why Historic's not a paper format. You can play it in paper technically, but having all these random cards that are from all these different walks of magic and timelines of magic that are legal and historic, but all these other cards from those same sets are not, that makes it confusing and really weird and convoluted, which is a huge problem for paper. So I don't think yeah. any of these cards are going to be in any of the non-Pioneer ones we're seeing in here are not going to be in uh, in Pioneer Masters or Pioneer Legal for that matter. But this does bring up an interesting thing with Pioneer Masters, though. Um I don't think they're going to have a disconnect between paper and... I mean, they're not going to have the pauper thing where paper and digital are actually different. So they're either going to exclude a couple of these masterpieces or because we might get like a Kaladesh remastered later, which also had masterpieces, which you definitely want to get in Arena. They might have a look at... Because let's be honest here, the Kaladesh one... They are often, They are not going to be in Historic. We're not going to get Soul Ring and Mana Crypt and Arcbound Ravager. Like, we're not going to have any of these cards in Historic either. So I'm going to assume they're going to just exclude them, or maybe they just look at individual cards, whether or not it actually matters if they're legal. Shatterstorm, Lord of Extinction, it doesn't matter if they're Pioneer legal or not. They're janky, pretty bad cards. 
And if we look at the uh, the list of the the leaked um, ten cards, which was from a data mine, so it's more trustworthy than any other any other kind of leak. Um, not all of the not all of the invocations are in there. Also, some of them aren't even invocations. Collect Company wasn't a masterpiece, right? Unless I'm remembering wrong. No, you're right. Okay, so, you're right. That wasn't a masterpiece. So Collect Company's in there, which also has new art. It shows um, it showcases pretty much a lot of the different uh, tribes of the plane. So you see standing on a side, and we'll, we'll have some links down in the description as well so you guys can see this as well. But um, they have like a Minotaur, a Naga, a, uh, a uh, more Horus-inspired looking uh, character, some humans, a Jackal. Uh, they, they have everything. Just standing, just looking all uh, like a super group. Pretty cool. I'm I'm a fan of this art. I'm a fan of all these. I'm just art. envisioning this episode from SpongeBob where they're all superheroes standing in like their sit. Oh no, this looks a lot more heroic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it looks pretty cool. There's some random fire I'm seeing for. Oh, it looks like. Is that a? I can't tell. It looks like the Amaket sense uh, set symbol, right? A little bit. Or am I just looking too much into that? I think you're looking too much into it. I think that's just fire on the ground. Hey, look. I'm not going to lie. I'm I mean, excited, Brad so. is just getting super excited here. So he's Delusions trying to look into grander. everything. Yeah. You know, like, we're, it's it's like this game theory thing where people just look into, like, every minute detail. And it's like, this pixel is off here. And this is just Brad whenever he hears Amonkhet. It's like, but wow, can I, can I... can a theory. A game <laughs> theory. Where it's like, can I have more Amonkhet in my Amonkhet, please? <laughs> please don't sue me, Matt Pat. <laughs> um, Brad is like the uh, what is it exhibit of uh, of Amonkhet? Like, yo, we heard you like Amonkhet, so you put Amonkhet in your Amonkhet, so you can have more Amonkhets while you draft Amonkhet. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, this is, remember this this Amonkhet remastered is a collection of both Hour of Devastation and Amonkhet. It's around 380 cards, is what they said uh, of a collection of both of them. It is going to be a draftable format. It is going to be a packs that you can crack and buy on on Arena, uh, so it's accessible for the most part. The same way all your other uh, sets are going to be on. I mean, uh, we could start getting some of these cards already for when Pioneer rolls around. Like if you can now yep. find a way to randomly, you know, sometimes you get random rare cards. Hey, if those can already be Thoughtseize, well, then I already have them before Pioneer comes to Arena. So... And that's the that's the point I was making earlier or starting to make was uh, this creates a cool little thing for Pioneer Masters because I know uh, off screen and off cast, uh, you and I, Alex, and uh, I think you and I, Matt, have also talked about this. We've made some speculations for what Pioneer Masters would have and how they would kind of fit uh, everything into it because a Pioneer Masters set or Master set in general has to be draftable. That's what they want. They want a limited environment for that as well. So when you see double Masters released, there's a lot of people complaining about the bulk rares and some of the commons and stuff like that. Um, or just the fact that you have Tron draftable and limited. So that's why you have to spend a hundred dollars on the VIP pack where you get all the cool things. Oh, thank you. Wizards rep. <laughs> but looking at pioneer masters, you know, we were looking at, okay, what's not already on the client arena. Cause a lot of it is, you know, Ixel on forward. That's a lot of cards that are pretty much already available. And a lot of them are pioneer staples like uro and things like that so okay well thoughtseize is a definite must fatal push is a must granted you could argue that they would save fatal push for when they do a kaladesh remaster 
because I I think they hundred percent will. They said when they re- revealed the Amonkhet remaster, just work like, this work is... backwards. Yeah, that that makes sense. And they're like, this is this is our first remaster, but they put in parentheses, certainly not our last. Um, so we'll see a Kaladesh Aether Revolt block uh, remaster. I mean, if if we're talking about data mining, I mean Kaladesh is literally on Arena. So is Amonkhet in in the beta in the. Beta or the Alpha, even, but I think in the beta yep. too, you actually played with Kaladesh. It and went at back that time, to they, did a, they did a data mine too. Yeah, well, you couldn't play those cards, but then they did data mine and Shadows over Innistrad block. Was, really? Could you yeah, play Sh- I don't think so. I think the Alpha yeah. was literally Ixalan block constructed. No, and then Shadows. Afterwards, was, they went back to Kaladesh. I could have swore Shadows was on there. Like, uh, I... it's, it's data mined. It's on there, but I don't yeah. believe you could play with the actual. But uh, anyway, so it's in. Yeah. The only thing I'm afraid of is that they're going to do Pioneer to Arena lazily and don't give us literally all the cards. Well, I mean, and... we're, we're taking the Amicate Remaster as a, a sign of that. And they yeah, also did That's going to say... take forever. Like, if you go back yeah. one or two sets at a time, like every half a year, it's going to take like five years before to... Pioneer is on Arena. By that time, the format's like as big as modern. No, it's going to be stupid before it's on. We have to remember that they said that they're doing Pioneer Masters. That's confirmed. And they said that this isn't going to be the first, uh, or I'm sorry, the um, the only Pioneer Masters set. They're going to be doing more of those too. Yeah, so but still, that, you... takes, that still takes a long time. Unless they're going to make 5,000 card sets. It, it's going to take a really long time before we can actually work back, which I think is worrying. Because I think they're going to be lazy. I think they're going to skip out on cards. They're going to be like, we do it through master sets. We've skipped a lot of commons, a lot of uncommons that we don't think are good. And you're just going to miss out on cool cards. Or you're going to miss out on tech. Or you're going to have a disconnect. Like how Spirits, a couple weeks ago, started running that weird card from Ravnica. Hey, what's up, guys? We had a weird glitch with our audio recording. It just disconnected. So that's why there's a little bit of a breakup here. So hopefully you can forgive us for that and we'll just keep on, uh, we'll continue. Thanks. Uh, Maybe it might be better to just start off like, hey, something went wrong with the recording. So this might be patched together a little bit. So I'm just going to try and continue going on my point. And I was talking about how the commons and uncommons throughout Pioneer might have a lot of them skipped out because they might implement it through like a couple of master sets. And then they're like, yeah, here's Pioneer, except for like a thousand comments and 500 uncommons because they don't matter. When they might matter. If you look at a meta right now, maybe there is some stupid common from like, I don't know, some core set that is like really good in this meta. And you were talking or about is... a key sense in that spirits deck, the Cynic Spirits yeah. key sense from Amonkhet was the weird card. Um, that, no, that was a good one, but I'll talk about another. I actually mentioned it, uh, meant another one. Because oh, okay. that was from like the blue white and the band spirit shells, and there is a card from I believe it's from the Ravnica block. Because I believe yeah, it's hybrid and it's Orzhov themed, so I'm pretty sure it is. And it's one mana, which is hybrid blue black. Exile a card from a graveyard. Create a one-one spirit. Oh, now, um, that card was actually I think uh, it's like Beckon Apparition. Beckon Apparition. Yeah, Beckon Apparition. And for example, so that was good for spirits. Now, there is a card that does the same, except instead of a spirit, it makes a zombie. It's a random hmm. common from, like, I think it's a core set, uh, or it might be from Shadows over Innistrad block or sometime back. And that is actually a pretty cool card, too. And what if 
one year down the line, we get a set and it gives us new zombie support. And hey, zombies is actually a good deck now. And Uro is still legal. And that card isn't in one of the master sets. Because they're like, yeah, that card's not important, hasn't seen play. And you're like, yeah, but I can play it in paper, and I actually want this card, but now I can play it online. And then we get the pauper problem, where you create this online-offline disconnect, which I think is terrible for your format. You don't want someone to play on Arena, and they're like, hey, I might actually want to get into paper magic, because like, a friend of mine played some Commander with me, and I actually see, like, wow, paper magic is actually great. And I want to get into Paper Magic, and I want to play my Pioneer deck. And they're like, yeah, but two or three of your cards? No. Uh, actually, that's probably the other way around. You play in Paper, and you're like, you want to start playing on Arena. And you're like, hey, my, my deck is not legal. There are yeah. cards in my deck that are literally missing, even though I play Pioneer at a store, and then I go to Arena, and I click on a format that says Pioneer, but I can play my cards. A better comparison than Popper would be actually Magic Duels. That was a problem that that uh, thing had. And that, oh yeah, well you you could only have like one Mythic. Yeah, and there were Mythics that weren't even in the set. Like uh, Relentless Dead was not even in the, it wasn't even in the game. Um, like they would they would leave out like twenty five percent of like rares and Mythics. Um, so that's another problem. However, yes. when it comes down to the Masters problem, I agree with what you're saying, and I agree with that. That would be a huge issue, and that certainly is a fear and a worry. But I believe they're going to try and do the same thing that they did for implementing Legacy onto Magic Online, which was literally what they're doing now. They put supplemental sets onto this onto the client, like a remaster set and things like that, or a a, a quote unquote like Legacy Master or Pioneer Masters that they kind of just slowly put them on there, and eventually they get the important cards on there first, which is what they're going to have to do, and then with every additional product they eventually start getting all the random comments and uncommons just start dumping them on onto updates it's it's 2020 like we can't set out a process and be like yeah your pioneer format will be complete in two years like i already thought it was kind of stupid for legacy but this is like a, a supposed to be a premier format that's like getting all the support and if COVID wouldn't happen we'd have all these events going on probably much more than even legacy at the time but it, it, that doesn't matter the fact that it worked that way then doesn't mean it's the correct way to do it now. Now, introducing it through master sets or and making like cool draft environments and stuff, and that might take like a year or something like, sure. But I wouldn't be objected to three or four pioneer master sets. And then at the end, and like, because they said they had like some card writing algorithm and they're like, you know what? And here is the dump. And it's just like, 5,000 cards and it's just weird commons and uncommons and you literally have to get them with wild cards because they're not in a set or something. Like, that's fine, but just you, they boasted about their weird card writing algorithm that made it so easy to put old cards in. Well, bloody do it then, right? Just give me the dump. I don't need it. And I think a lot of people aren't bothered if their beckon apparition isn't playable in a draft set. They just want the damn card. <laughs> yeah. Well, they could they could also shift rarities around too. They could drop some stuff to, like, let's say, like, um, 
you know, there are playable uncommons or whatever, and to make it easier and more accessible for people when they do this dump, just be like, okay, we're, yeah, we're making them all commons. Here you go. You can just use maybe there's some trashy rares and they do are that are really not worth rare wildcards. Make them uncommons. Now, this sounds like hey, customer friendly, and it sounds like less money friendly, so I yeah. doubt they'll do that. You well, know, we're could, probably more do that. Like, voice they, research just got dropped to a uh, rare and double masters rather than being a mythic, and that's not the only one, I believe. There's a few, I mean, but for double masters, they also upshifted Ravenous Trap to be a rare, which is a 50 cent uncommon, and yeah. they upshifted it to a rare for a set where you pay $16 for a pack of magic the, cards. The argument so, that I saw for that was that's not even a good argument. The only argument I've ever seen for that, uh, that to make sense was because. When they designed this double master set, it was probably around the time that because uh, this usually is about a year out, right? So this mm-hmm. was during Hogak summer when that car was actually seeing tech play for Hogak, um, and it was at one point like eight nine dollars a piece, and they're like, oh, we should probably you know print this again and help kind of get it down. But then upshifting, it's also really weird and doesn't make sense. Yeah, so then that maybe just downshift to a common because apparently people need this card. Yeah, like I, I think I the know, second time they reprinted. Street Wraith, it was actually still quite valuable for a common, and they actually left it at common. And yeah. then you could open a pack, and your rare could be crap, but your com- you, but you had a Street Wraith in your common, and it was actually, yeah, sure, this pack still wasn't so bad. Like, what you're saying, where they're like, hey, we upshifted to rare, it's probably what they did, but just, like, to make money. Like, yeah. w- why do you upshift this uncommon to a rare? But hopefully that's not as much of a problem on Arena. If they then upshift a car to a rare, for Arena purposes, that is just completely indefensible. There is no argument to be made there. An uncommon in a set should not be a rare when it comes to Arena. Like, that is just, there is no, you don't even a fake argument you could make for that. I agree. Yeah, I, I, yeah there's nothing I can really say for that. Um, I mean, it's, like you said, it's trying to make money. That's what they're doing. And I get I mean, it. That I, you're, you're a business, but there's better ways to go about that, right? I mean, I get master sets, right? That they want to do Pioneer through some master sets, to be honest, to monetize it. But they're a business. It doesn't matter. Monetize it. It's fine if you reasonably monetize something. But don't spend five years getting Pioneer on Arena just because you want to milk the last drop out of it. Do it in like a year. Give us some master sets. Give us some cool drafts because most master sets are good draft environments. So I would like to see them have a crack at like a Pioneer Masters draft environment. But then just give us the dump at the end. Be like, and here's the weight and all your random comments and uncommons. Here, dump, have it. That would be ideal. I think that would be a good middle road of like, I would like to see all the cards tomorrow, but then Wizards like, yo, but we're not making money of that. So of course they won't, but there is a middle road there. I'm more optimistic about them. They're they're planning it on. I mean, I think the master set when they revealed that. I mean, to be honest, we had people putting their tinfoil hats on not even just like a month ago, being like, they want to kill Pioneer. It was the mistake format. Historic's the real thing they want to keep on Arena, so they'll never support Pioneer. And then a week later, they're like, oh yeah, by the way, we're doing Pioneer Masters. Yeah, I might have been one of those people. It. Yeah, I, so- I was also thinking when they. Unbent oath of Nissan didn't do anything else. They wanted to kill the format. I have changed my opinion on that. But uh, Matt, do you have any uh, opinions on Arena in general? Whether it's the uh, the new cards on there for Pioneer, Pioneer Masters. I know we've uh, rambled a bit. <laughs> I would like to see them just dump them all when when Pioneer comes out and just say, "Here's every card that's ever been printed in Pioneer. Have at it." I don't think that's what they're going to do for a couple of reasons. 
one from a design from a programming perspective that's just going to be too much for a single patch to handle but I also, mean, War, Warzone is 100 gigabytes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're talking about effectively doubling the size of the file in one in one fell swoop. It wouldn't be doubling. I mean, the I'm sure these cards. If we go to the data mine, I, I I'm just kind of you know, that, that, a little bit, but they that, they can't be more than like what a, a kilobyte for each card, not even. Yeah, but when you're talking about ten thousand cards, that you're looking at a few megabytes then. So, yeah. I mean, I guess. Another reason, though, that I think they could do it, actually, is because when did Arena release? It was around Kaladesh, correct? Uh, uh, it wasn't that far back. It was... Um, it was like it was, Dominaria or something, when it was actually yeah. released? I believe, yeah, the, the beta. The, the I, think, was, I think the release, of course, at 2019, I think, was about that time when, the, when we got the hard reset from beta. Yeah. And went to the actual release. Well, no, Guilds of Ravnica releases when they did the wipe and then shifted everything. Oh. Yes. Um, so. Oh, okay. I I have to admit I'm not super familiar with Arena. I've only recently gotten into it. But if they started at Course at 2019, it should seem pretty easy to just go back into the code and switch on, switch all those sets just right back on, and say, "There you go. Now everything from 2019 forward oh, is now." Oh, they can go back to Shadows over Innistrad. That should all be in. Yeah. So they could already just throw six sets. In. I mean, four of them are confirmed, right? Hour of Devastation, Amonkhet, Kaladesh, and Aether Revolt. We actually played with these sets. Right. So those could just instantly be switched on. Like, here, there, have it. Have your cards. Right. So you don't need to do those. So I, I think they could do it. I don't think they will. They're going to want the money. Yeah. I mean... That's so we're going to get master sets for every single set that's I, already programmed onto Arena and even going back to, you know... Uh, I just hope and all that. it's about time. They have to do this at a relatively high pace. You can expect people to wait till 2022 before they can play Pioneer on Arena. That is just no. too long. How many cards are in a standard set usually? It's what? About like, 350? Yeah. 300? Oh, something along you... those lines. So with their special algorithm that can write cards, if they can write, let's even go a little conservative here and say they can write 500 cards a month onto Arena, that means once every two months they could dump two to three sets. Yeah. Onto, and, that, and then it would take, what, less than a year for them to get all the way back? But, but then we are going to have the weird limbo of having this half pioneer for a while. Which I guess is like a yeah. fine throwaway format. It is kind of what they did with Historic. But that's why I'm afraid like you don't want this half arsed thrown away pioneer for too long. Right. You could but... have it as a cute thing that updates every two and three months. It's like, wow, what kind of crazy stuff can we build this month? Because that would actually that would actually be quite fun, because that's probably a format that's never solved. That also... if every month they add two sets, like damn, that's gonna shake up all the time. You also, though, because of the way Arena works with wild cards and you have to grind the wild cards if you don't want to spend any money to get them all, it might be better for them not to just dump everything all at once because then you, when a set dumps, you get all the cards from that set that you want for whatever decks you're building, and then you have a month or two months to then build your wild cards back up so that when the next set dumps, you get what you want. Oh. Keep doing that for a year, 
and it makes it much more manageable rather than I have to build a 60 card deck and I only have 20 wild cards right now and I'm freaking out that everybody else is going to have a much better deck than me. Well, here, here's my like, I, I guess it, it probably doesn't make as much money as I think business proposition for wizards. How about you make it so we can buy wild cards only for Pioneer? So you've got this thing where it's like relatively cheap, like you call it like the Pioneer catch-up bundle. And I don't know, you get like an, a, an avatar or two from cards that are only in Pioneer. So you, you, you can do that way and you get some card sleeves. And here is, I don't know, like 50 wild cards that you can only spend on cards from Pioneer Master sets or something, whatever. And you give people like a way to who even haven't played Arena to just get into the game. Because they're like, yeah, I've never played Arena. I kept playing on Modo because I hate Standard. And I want to get into Pioneer. And now I have this opportunity to throw 100 bucks at Arena. And I can actually buy one or two Pioneer decks. As like I mean, an entry point. Yeah, I mean, that would probably be fine. Um, or just letting us buy wild cards in general across the board. Or if we could dust, that'd be kind of cool. Their, their excuse for dusting is ridiculous. Well, uh, that's why we have Historic. But... I think the they I think they can't sell individual wild cards. I'm not sure. I thought there was like some legal reason why they couldn't do that. Because if they'd have to like buy a wild card, they'd also have to like give you an option to return it or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, the problem with Are the problem with Arena is is that you're in legal mumbo jumbo in literally every country in the world. Yeah. Yeah, because that so, could be seen as gambling if you're buying something with yeah. a that it could be good. Well, I mean, that's when you say, like, hey, couldn't packs be gambling, but there's a way to get them for free. Like, I know especially there's some games that I'm not allowed to play in the Netherlands because they're banned under Dutch gambling law. And I'm sure there are um, there are game uh, countries that are far worse. So maybe Wizards has their hands tied behind their back more than we think. And well... maybe they can't there's just a lot of things that we propose that they can't do, but I'm I'm not sure about that at all. As no far as getting the cards onto the client, though, so right now in Pioneer, there in once we have the release of Zendikar Rising, which is uh, after that is when we'll get Pioneer Masters. They said it's later this year, probably around the winter update, like December, right? That probably makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, we'll have 33 total sets in Pioneer. Um, 20 of them, if we are not counting the Amiket remaster or including our devastation and Amiket into this little bundle, uh, because there are certainly going to be cards omitted from those sets onto the client. 20 of them are not on uh, the server or on the client yet, or not in there yet. Um, even if we're counting the ones that are already written on, because we're focusing on them doing the stupid remaster thing, right? Yeah. Because uh, they want to generate hype and get people excited. At around 350 cards per set, that's 7,000 cards that they need to add on. So it's 7,000 cards. If we go with Matt's 500 um, a month thing, thing that's, that's still 14 months. Which is terribly pessimistic. You can, if you mm -hmm. have an algorithm that writes cards into your game, you can do that a lot faster. And also, you have to consider reprints. It's probably yeah. a lot less than 7,000 cards. So let's say, give or take, let's, say, let's drop off 1,000. Right, let's say it's 6,000. Yeah, 6,000 cards. That should be, well, 500 a month a year. Yeah. If we um, don't have Pioneer on Arena fully by summer 2021, I'm going to be very disappointed. 
I, I would expect you to be disappointed, to be honest. Yeah, I'm. I am fully expecting to be disappointed, but I don't see why. Except it's just. But then money happened, and yeah. then they just wanted to slow everything down for a change at the detriment of the player base. Because well, this is like the back and forth where now the balance team and the people who are about pioneer, like, yeah, hey, see, they care about pioneer, they care about the players. The higher up people who are about the money, they still don't give a crap. Like that is very yeah. evident by some of these decisions that are taken. And they're they're a company, um, you know, underneath the um, Hasbro umbrella now. So I'm sure that that's oh, uh, Hasbro. That's I actually looked that up. Hasbro bought Wizards like 15 years ago or something. It just seems more prevalent now, but Wizards has been part of Hasbro for a very long time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, I didn't know that, that too, but uh, I saw a video about it. Someone had looked it up. And Hasbro, Wizards has actually been part of Hasbro for longer than it hasn't been part of Hasbro. Dude, I have a game right I would have to double-double uh, check, but I believe that is correct. Hasbro bought Wizards of the Coast on September 9th, 1999. So yeah, 20... 1999. 21 years ago. Would you look at that? Um, I got this wonderful board game. It's like a turn-based game. It's a Star Wars game, right? I've had this mm-hmm. for years. Uh, actually, I'm pretty far away from the mic. I'm sure you probably could barely hear me. But yeah, I had a uh, the Star Wars game. It's super awesome. It's a turn-based game. It's kind of like playing XCOM on, on board. Uh, this is a game. If you can we'll see this little logo right here. Wizards. Wizards. Wizards made it. And on the back, I see a nice little Hasbro logo. And this is from 2005. Yeah, see? Here, there's, there's, there's the proof. And just to be a completionist, Wizards was started in 1990. So they've been owned by Hasbro for 21 of their 30 years of being a business. So if someone can, like something that the listeners can take away from this, when people go into this like, oh, they're greedy because they're under Hasbro now, they have been under for longer. Just like how I believe Blizzard has been under Activision for longer than that they've, like, than people think. It's just everybody gets more greedy. It's not like Wizards are all the good guys and Hasbro are all the bad guys. It turns out that a lot of CEOs and people who only care about money care a lot about money. And they care about your wallet and not about you. And I'm sad that it's sometimes showing through some of these decisions. Because I just want to enjoy this wonderful game. Well, in the spirit of maintaining optimism and positivity... uh... I know we're starting an approach on running over time, so I would like to have our closing thoughts for today's cast be, what are you most excited about? Like, what have you taken out of the Pioneer results this weekend that makes you the most excited and optimistic about the format? We'll start with you, Matt. I am excited to just see all the different decks that people are putting together now. Some, I mean, some of them are just reworkings of old decks from pre- inverter times which is awesome but we're also just seeing a lot of just completely new takes on things and that's exciting finally for the first time in a long time we get to play against decks and we're not like oh i already know your entire deck list just from seeing your first turn and i know exactly what you're gonna play and what i already know i want to beat this deck or i already know i lost so i'm not gonna try because let's be honest some people get that way myself included sometimes so i'm just excited to have this meta right now where we just 
anything's open and we get to play against a bunch of different and see what's cool, see what's not so cool. That's exciting. Yeah. What about you, Alex? I think for me, it's because there's now, um, after this first week, there is, and whether or not they're going to stay that way is obviously nobody knows. There is now like a, a sort of enemy to attack in this meta. There's Niv, there's Monogreen, and there's Spirits. And for me, the main thing is, is that these are decks that I like to play against. When the top of the format was Field, Inverter, um, and Mono White, those aren't decks that I actually liked to play against. Mono White was fine, but I didn't enjoy the others. But now that there's a meta to attack, and even if the decks are powerful, they are decks that I like to play against. So there are enemies I want to face. When I, before I had anti Demir Inverter deck attack in my deck, I still didn't want to play against Inverter. Now, if I'm going to build a deck where I'm like, oh, this is probably going to have a good Niv matchup, and I play against someone and they play Niv, I'll be excited. It's like, yeah, I, I can test this now. And I, I'm very looking forward to that. I, my main thing that I'm probably not going to be focused on is my control deck. And I feel like maybe my zombie rally deck, I want to see if that's fast enough to see if with a rally plan I can go over the top to just like turn five rally, you're dead. And I'm also a little excited that combo still exists. It's not my favorite archetype, but I'm happy for the combo players, the field players. Uh, hopefully you can like blow the world out with your Teshar list and everybody from next week on can start playing that. But it's like everybody still has a thing to do. Even if you liked combo, there is still combo. Yeah. And I, it's a absence of feeling helpless, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah, perfect. Couldn't have said it better myself. Because um, now you can you can try these tech cards and, and before when I was trying to t uh, you know put in tech cards for like inverter and stuff like that it just felt like God this is so narrow and it just feels like it's just only for this matchup and I get hosed by this other matchup because I'm taking up these cyborg slots where now you can be much more flexible with your tech slots for like nip to light or mono green because you know. You don't have to be backed into a corner and be forced to play uh, Gideon of the Trials, for example, which is still, which unfortunately I think is a bad card now. Uh, I don't think it's has much merit. It probably will maybe be worth it for uh, the Lotus Field deck still, but at that point, there's other avenues you want to take, right? You just go Damping Sphere and then um, probably, yeah. But uh, I I do want to like give people a, like don't sell your cards that were good. Like Gideon oh, against some metas might actually still come back as a good card. Don't yeah, get rid of your foil damping spheres. They're still good. Like Yes. Just, you know, get your bulk box, put your cards away. Like I have a I have a core box underneath my desk right now. It's scribbled with Sharpie on it. It's one of the fat pack boxes and it says cores. And I have them all labeled out the same way we would at an LGS. I have my flash core in there. I got my blue white uh, approach, the second sun deck core in there. I got all my extra lands that I'm not playing right now. They're all organized. So keep your cards somewhere and have them ready to be cracked out. And you know, you might see a meta where they're good enough again. And that's actually talking about weird tech. Like sort your cards. I'm gonna do yeah. it soon too. Sort your cards. Find your weirdo cards i mean recently in mono in modern there's now mono white token decks that play stuff like raise the alarm like yeah. find your weird tech Th this is the time if you like brewing brew now 
you have something to attack, make your janky weird stuff, 5-0 a list, and then next week we're like, what the hell is this deck? And you could be like, ha, I got you guys. <laughs> yeah, and that's the exciting thing of it. I'm excited to look at 5-0s and be like, oh my god, they actually ran this card. That's that's yeah. exciting. I, I want to feel excited about the format again, and I am. Um, as much as it sounded like I was being a bit pessimistic in regards to Niptolite, and even last week to an extent where I was saying the absence of combo was terrifying and kind of worrying to me. But mm -hmm. we're heading down the right track. Like we said, and we've been saying this entire cast, these results should be taken with a grain of salt. It's not the, the set meta yet. If It makes it reminds me of going back to, like, uh, do you guys remember the Pro Tours when they would actually be like, Pro Tour Shadows of Innistrad or Pro Tour Amonkhet was the name of them. And they actually released and came out coinciding just like barely a week after a release of a set. So you have all these pro players scrambling to use these new cards in their decks. And it's just a, a field day of a new meta. That's what this feels like. And that's what it should feel like. And that's a good thing. You want to see these crazy experimental stuff. And then eventually the meta will settle. We'll go over that too, and we'll figure out if there's any problems from there. But right now, I'm optimistic to an extent that there won't be yet. We'll see, though. Um, but yeah, uh, any closing thoughts for you guys before we go? No, I've, uh, I think we've said enough. I think we've gone well over two hours again. Yeah, yeah, we have. And uh, we'll make sure that everything's you know good together and we had that little cut out earlier but we'll, we'll make sure that's looking good but yeah uh, i want to thank everyone for listening again uh it was wonderful to do this cast uh, it was great to have you here alex you as well matt and like i said look down in the description below for the link to the mtg at home discord server hopefully you can pop in say hello uh, we can talk some strategy and talk about pioneer and everything and maybe even play some paper magic so like to say thanks again guys and we will see you next week bye bye bye